Hi, welcome to another episode of the Flying Tortuga Brothers podcast. The Flying Tortuga Brothers are artists Carl Stoveland and Shannon Torrance, who are endeavoring to be named artists in residence on Loggerhead Key in the Dry Tortugas National Park in September of 2020. This podcast is a series of interviews with artists who have done residencies and interesting conversations with people who can help along the way. So grab a cup of coffee or your beverage of choice, sit back, and enjoy the show. This episode of the Flying Tortuga Brothers is brought to you by Camping Florida Keys. Camping Florida Keys is the premier rental equipment outfitter for camping Dry Tortugas National Park and the Florida Keys confidently and comfortably. So reserve, relax, and return your gear today to minimize planning and maximize your vacation. They can be found at CampingFloridaKeys.com and all the usual social media outlets. Hashtag CampingFloridaKeys. Enter podcast into the promo code on the website to receive a 10% discount. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the Flying Tortuga Brothers podcast. I'm your host, Carl Stoveland, with my sidekick, co-host, and pal, Shannon Torrance. Hey, Carl. How's hey, everybody Shannon. today? Uh, doing great. How about you? Really good. Really good. It's been a, two weeks, I think, since our last one, or three weeks, or I think something. We're, we're going on three weeks, because yeah. I was gone for 17 days, and then we've been home for almost a week. So, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a whirlwind. Indeed, it has. Um, that's why we wanted to get together now and do an episode where we could talk about what our adventures have been for the last few weeks, and dodging hurricanes and trips and you went to new york and we went to all over the place and we'll talk a little bit about that and some of the fun that we had very cool let's start with your cruise i think probably because it's so it's so interesting you hit some pretty um exotic places like corfu indeed we did and uh before we actually roll into that i want to do one thing and just i'm going to pre-apologize we don't normally record early in the morning so if you hear a garbage truck roll by or <laughs> dogs barking or the mailman, that's what it's about. We normally record in the evening when it's a little bit quieter on my street. That said, let's get right into it. Yeah, so the cruise, October will be Wendy's and my 30th anniversary. And our friends John and Laura were going on a nine-day cruise in the Mediterranean, and we decided to hijack their cruise and join in with them. So that's what we did. And it started with four days in Barcelona, three or four days in Barcelona, and then cruised the Mediterranean. We'll talk about some of the stops and ended in five days in Venice. What did you love most about Barcelona? I would say the Sagrada Familia for sure and uh, the architecture in general. Yeah, um, my wife and I are supposed to go to Madrid this year um, in 2020, so... Um, just that's why I was asking what, what what you found most interesting about Barcelona. Yeah, the Gothic Quarter was really cool. Um, I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, but again, it was architecture. We tend to visit cities and not do a lot of the museums and activity stuff. We tend to get in, wander, and then start to try and live a little bit like natives. So not Maybe not like natives, but at least um, try and get off the beaten path, but not do a whole lot, just see and explore and people watch. Um, I thought Barcelona was an amazing city for that. Um, great things to see and do. The Sagrada Familia, still under construction for another couple of years, 
Uh, they've been at it for 80 years, I think. Good Lord, yeah. Um, it, but it's, it's nearing completion. It's like the next two years it'll be done. They're putting the, you know, the candles on the cake at this point. It's a tale of two cathedrals. Um, you think of Gaudi with his natural forms and um, how organic his work is on the one facade and then the other facade, which was designed and completed after his death, which is much more modern and angular and sculpturally different styles. And together they make a beautiful whole. You wouldn't expect them to, but that seems to be my theme of the trip is a little bit of dualities. Hmm. Um, I found the same thing in Venice, same thing in Burano, in different things that I, I looked at. So, yeah, Barcelona, um, we stayed in the Diagonal Mar area, which really has been built up since after the Olympics. And it's um, an area by the sea that had been shanties and had been industrial that is now tourist and hotel and but done really an office space and done really well. And what we really liked about it was the restaurant scene. Um, I was going to mention the food must have been spectacular and the wine. The the seafood was amazingly fresh and the restaurants, the tapas bars were impeccable. We really enjoyed that about Barcelona. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so that was our first few days wandering around and then uh I don't know if I can even name all the cities on the cruise. You know, it's where you're you're in port for the day and you travel by night to the next destination one full day that we were at sea the rest of the time we were at our destinations we went to so monte carlo and nice were the two first stops um monte carlo we actually didn't get out the tender boats the water was too rough for the tender boats to operate so we stayed on the boat uh nice we the boat anchored at villefranche sur mer and which is a small village 15 minutes away from Nice. Um, and it was absolutely beautiful, hilly architecture built into the side of the hill, beautiful bay, harbor, very natural leading into it. We wandered there for several hours mm. and then took a cab over to Nice and went through the, the famous fruit market Nice and just, did, did an exploration there. Probably my other favorite stops were we went to Rome. Obviously, Rome's not on the water, so that was a good hour and a half to get to Rome once we got off the boat. But we were traveling with our friends, John and Laura, and we'd been there 10 years before, and we knew where we wanted to go. We wanted to go back to Piazza Navona to see the Fountain of the Four Rivers, and we were actually able to eat lunch in the same restaurant that we went to 10 years ago because the restaurant's been there for 45 years and the waiter that we had actually has been there for 25 years wow yeah so that was kind of nice to recreate that experience and then we went to sicily and that was probably my favorite stop of all of the stops from the cruise um the hill towns were stunningly gorgeous and the bus trip was like nothing you've ever been on (laughs) switchbacks every hundred yards going up the mountain and these tiny little cars having to back up 300 feet so the bus can pass. You know, it was, I didn't think, I didn't think from a physics standpoint, we were going to be able to get up to the top, but we did. And then it was uh, two beautiful walled cities and it was like stepping back in time. It was really kind of cool. So I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, uh, we got to spend some time in Venice and Burano, which Wendy and I absolutely love. And I had the opportunity to go out 
early in the morning and again in the evening by myself and shoot the shadows and reflections on the smaller canals by our hotel and that Venice just feeds my soul you know mm-hmm. it's just one of those places even though it's crowded and hot and all the things that they say that are negatives about it all you have to do is go two blocks off of the busy street and you forget there's anybody around you that's pretty cool and then while we were in Venice we went to uh, the Academy here's a dualities again the main show the main exhibit at the the Academy is 14th century church art which was it was interesting to be able to look at this the art that was the driving force of the times I mean the art that was made was made because the church paid for it that's why there was art at that point but it was interesting to look at it outside of the confines of the last time I saw that much church art was in the Vatican and in the Vatican you're kind of overwhelmed with the ornateness of the building and the feeling of the the wealth that's held in that building it can kind of sour you to the whole experience of the art so in this case it was separated from that and I really got to look from an art history standpoint you know the transition I watched decade after decade as more more form and more shadow and more reality came into the paintings I really enjoyed that and then uh here's the duality the other show was uh George Baselitz um and he does the upside down portraits which I thought was a gimmick at first but the more time you spend with it in a big room looking at multiple pieces and you realize what he was trying to do was not about the person so much as the color and the shape and the form it became very interesting to me as art and it didn't feel like a gimmick so I I bought into that hook line and sinker I really enjoyed that and uh, I can't believe it was 17 days away from home it was magic, you know, great meals everywhere. Probably one of the best things besides having like 2,500 pictures to edit and go through over the next few months is that it really reignited my my painting. Uh, got me setting aside time every day to paint, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am with that. Yeah, and the work you're producing is really pretty. Thank you. I'm, I'm really happy with it. Um, I didn't know that I would be able to get from um, no painting at all to where I am in you know five easy paintings but <laughs> it worked out so I'm, I'm pretty thrilled when you're away from it for from a while it's really hard to get back into it i've noticed oh my god that white piece of paper yeah it just looks at you and goes you can't do this yeah and then you start to doubt yourself you exactly know? yeah yeah and i i think one of the ways that i broke that cycle was i took a whole new approach to painting that i'd never done before which was starting with a base of walnut ink as my value plan and then layering on transparent inks on top rather than trying to paint each color. It was just a different mindset for me. And I think because it was new and I was just, I wasn't locked into the way I'd been doing things before. It just, I found my rhythm. I think I subliminally um, realized that when I was looking at um, your recent paintings. And I thought, I think I saw a couple of them um, while I was at the frame shop. I just checked my, uh, my, uh, messages at lunch and uh i thought i thought to myself what is he doing to get the extra depth um and that's that's it because you're starting with your your uh your tones first yeah and then so, i'm glazing on top and building yeah. and building and building and, and it's really working for you um one of the keys was rather than using my regular palette of watercolor paints is 
Um, for the colors, I've switched to concentrated Bombay inks, very highly transparent, so they're very good for glazing. You can build up and build up and build up, and you don't get muddy, so that keeps me out of trouble. That's cool. Cool. And now on to you. You know, it's been three weeks. You had a bit of an adventure and some great hurricane stories to tell. We while did. you were gone, yeah. Uh, yeah, we were actually packing for it. Well, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to leave on the trip. It got really close. We weren't sure. Yeah, same with my trip. Um, I did. We did get away just after the hurricane, um, and we went to. Uh, um, first, we we went. We flew into. Uh, Newark and stayed in Summit with Dina's um, sister and brother-in-law. And uh, she was going to be in New York City for business um, for two days. So I knew we were going to hit the Met, hit the museums. Um, and about two months before we left on the, uh, on the trip, I started to try and contact um, the Hispanic Museum and Library in New York City um, because I wanted to see some paintings by Soroya. Um, the Savoya paintings that would naturally or normally be at the Metropolitan Museum of Art were on tour. Um, I think they're in London. So basically the only place you could see Savoya paintings would be at uh, the Hispanic uh, Museum and Library, which has been um, closed for quite some time for renovations. So I, there was no way to, <laughs> for me to actually see what I wanted to see for this rare opportunity to be in the city. So I started making phone calls, and um, they said they would let you see the Soroya room by appointment, um, but they weren't going to drag the paintings out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took about two months of phone tag and contacting the right people um, in order to uh, gain access. So I finally got an appointment, and um, so for those of you who aren't sure where this is, it's... Um, it's 631 West, 155th Street. We stayed in Midtown, so it's quite a bit north. It's uptown, yeah. Yeah, it's uptown. Um, just, it's an amazing building, number one. The story behind the building is amazing. It was actually built by a Mr. Huntington, whose father uh, did the Transcontinental Railroad, made his money in the railroad, um, meeting east and west of the country. So that's the history. He was an art collector and had run into uh, John Singer Sargent and Soroya and loved Soroya's work and was starting this museum and had bought a couple of his pieces and asked him to do this massive mural, which this is in 1902. I think he bought the paintings in 1902, but the murals were finally done in, uh, I think, 1916. At any rate, I got to meet personally with um, Dr. Marcus Burke, who is the senior curator at the museum, just he and I. Um, it was the craziest, weird experience that I think I've ever had artistically. Um, so I go down these side steps and I end up in a basement and security takes me to these offices and the place is, um, you know, it's, it's covered in dust. There's, uh, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Um, as you would expect the museum that's under renovation. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, people are looking at me like really weird because I'm not a familiar face. And um, I meet the doctor um, who I'm a little early because I had no idea how long it was going to take to get there. And he is um, sort of like, oh, you're early. I don't, he's <laughs> kind of disheveled, you know, and his, he, he's, um, but you could, I just knew immediately the moment he um, spoke that he was going to be just a well of information. So smart, 
I mean, absolutely um, brilliant about art from that time period and previous time periods. And yeah, so we go to the room, turning lights on as we go through this massive building. <laughs> uh, we run into a security guard in the dark, and uh, we I think we startled him. He's making his rounds, sure. you know, making sure everything's in its proper place. And um, we get into this room, and it's pitch black dark. I'm stepping over big electrical cables, and he finds the switches, and we turn the lights on, and I'm telling you, when I say absolutely breathtakingly stunning, you could, um, you could hear angels sighing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, in a previous renovation, they, the whole ceiling is a skylight. In a previous renovation, um, they replaced that skylight, and all of these paintings that I was seeing were taken down and shipped um, to Spain, to Madrid, where the um, Sorolla Museum is, um, which houses the largest collection of his work. So I guess I should tell you why I wanted to see the Sorolla paintings so much. I wanted to see them because I wanted to, the scale of them is so grand and I wanted to see how he um, applied his paint, how vivid the paint actually, the colors were back then, mm-hmm. the viscosity of the paint, what I, he broke, he was a rule breaker, which I had no idea until I saw the work. People tried to paint still very traditionally up until that point and which means they would try to keep the surface very flat or they mm-hmm. would purposely have a textured surface. He was using a combination of both things. Um, so I, I think it really is going to inform my painting going forward. Um, the whole experience, um, just from that aspect and I'm going to work larger. Um, and and you think about the scale thing too, that's, that's one of those hard, tricky things is that you can get really good staying under a foot foot and a half and have control of the whole thing i'm certainly thinking about watercolor here because the larger you get the more the experiment tends to get out of the lab i like to think and you have to have a whole different mindset and how you're going to approach you still have to convey the same story but it's kind of like the difference between being a movie actor and being a broadway actor you know you have to tell it with broader gestures and bigger more colorful accents in order to tell the same story and have the viewer feel the same thing. So it's it's an interesting thing that you sought that out to help inform your painting as you start to go larger. Mm-hmm. And, and I, by the way, I can't wait to see. We've seen one big piece of yours at your show, but I can't wait to see more big stuff. Yeah, this will this will this will definitely change the large work because I was able to see, um, and you can see it in Sargent's work how they could use one stroke of paint like a long maybe four or five foot stroke of a paintbrush and get the look of a, a fold of satin in a gown say and um that's something that Soroya was using definitely and he was also using um the thickness of paint in order to, so if it was a bright white of something he would make sure that it was painted in the direction that it would be reflecting from so when the light hit it um it really created a, the illusion of a brighter white than the white that was used or same thing with the colors because it's got the shadow helping it do it. It's not fighting it. Yeah. Yeah. So it just really, which is really brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, according to Dr. Burke, he is the first artist to ever put, um, the shadow of a tree in a painting where the tree isn't present. So he's using these techniques, um, to fool your brain, to make you feel like you're there 
and the paintings are so large that you do feel like you're standing under the tree. Sure. And the shadow's coming down from behind you, from behind your shoulders and your head. Yeah, you think anyone who's ever started to paint, you realize you paint in that little box that you're working in, and you don't tend to think about the outside world. You're just trying to capture that bit in front of you. So that's a really great mind trick. Yeah, it was a big shift in the work. Um, so I think we were in the Soroya room for... 45 minutes probably mm -hmm. and we went painting by painting which are all about the different regions of spain um i had done my homework before i went so um slowly i was able to um talk to the doctor about the, the questions that i really had about the work um and i think he was surprised that i knew that i'd done my homework i wasn't wasting his time mm -hmm. um and he said well i think i have some um I think I have a, a, some other paintings I'd like to show you. I'm, do you have time? I'm like, absolutely. You know, <laughs> I'm all yours. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we turn the lights off in this massive room and we go wandering through um, this turn of the century, 20th century uh, museum. And um, we run into a Polish curator on a, in a dark stairwell. We startled her. Um <laughs> It was just, it was fabulous. So the next thing, um, we're standing in front of, um, a Goya, you know, and the light, we've just turned the lights on and, and the room is full of, um, uh, El Greco and Goya. And, uh, it's just to be standing in front of these paintings, um, with just myself and a senior curator and the whole place is empty. It's, it's astounding. And it's the way you want to view a painting. I like to, when I'm in museums, I really like to try and separate myself from the buzz around me. So that's really that on a really hyped up kind of, amped up kind of way to see it. Um, we started off very sterile, the doctor and I, um, in, in our conversation. I thought I was about to get the basic docence tour of the of that room. Mm -hmm. But he made, he he opened up. I felt like he made it easy to learn. So when we went to see other paintings, he became friendlier and friendlier. It was Groucho Marx. He said the magic word and the duck dropped down. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> to the point where he's talking about coming to Palm Beach and staying at the Breakers and uh, how much he loves it down here. And uh, he's joking about, uh, he was talking to the valet driver about how many Bentleys there are, you know, lined up out front and Rolls Royces. And uh, the valet guy said just so coolly, um, Oh, that's, we don't even think about it anymore. He says, we just call those rich men's impalas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just thought, you know, he was very open. And when I left, we went back. Um, we saw some of the other staff from the museum, um, other curators and administrative people. And he said, in my 27 years, Shannon is the, uh, is the, f the first one who really gets it. I mean, we, it was like talking to an old friend at the end. Right. And it went from that very... It became very collegial. Very uptight at the very beginning, and then it got to very, yeah, it was very comfortable. Um, so echoes of our conversation with Clyde Butcher, where it was kind of cool at first, but he warmed up to us eventually. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then I sort of became friendly with him at the end because I, uh, we were talking to one of the other curators, and uh, um, it came to, uh, we were talking about, oh, she has family or friends that work at the Hemingway house in, um, Key West. in Key West. And I was talking about my cruise to, to Cuba about a year and a half ago and, uh, how nice, 
how nicely preserved um, his house in Cuba was. And then I told him the little um, antidote about uh, when I handed my camera with some money to the maids cleaning Hemingway's house, which you can't go in. Uh, every doorway is roped off. You can look through the doors, you can mm-hmm. look through the windows, but you can't walk around inside the house. And she went around the house for 20 minutes with my, my phone taking pictures from angles. There's no possible way you could get, you know, and they loved that idea. So, um, I think one of them will be planning a trip to Cuba and they will be handing one of the housekeepers <laughs> of, of the Hemingway house some cash with their phone. Probably a little side business at this point. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it is. It wasn't the first time that it happened, but, um, that's cool. So you had a really good trip. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. So we did, um, that was the city. That was only part of the trip. Right. And then um, we went to uh, where Dina grew up, which is in um, Newton, New Jersey. And not uh, far from where I grew up in Monroe, New York, maybe half an hour away. Oh, okay. Yeah, really close then. Mm-hmm. And then I did some um, uh, sunflower paintings. Went to a, this massive sunflower field in Sussex County and did sunflower paintings. Um four i have four that are complete now um one you, sold like five say, minutes yeah, yeah, you, yeah you were a selling machine on vacation yeah yeah um and then um and in the city I, i've started a painting of uh um a painting uh, like of a, of a subway station i guess mm-hmm. um at night with the train coming in. Oh, cool. And I have one of, um, the Flatiron building from the perspective of, uh, Steichen, which is a kind of a park there to the, I want to say to the, to the West, slightly to the West where the building's just askew. Um, it's hard to get the exact vantage point because, uh, and to get, I feel like he was on a ladder actually for that shot because you just can't get the eye line from the street. Yeah. So yeah. And I've, I've, stood in those spots a dozen times and taken some pictures and never gotten exactly what I wanted. Yeah. So I really love that. And then, um, and I wandered central park. I've got great, um, uh, images for paintings of central park. What a great time of year to be in central park. And it was so lush, so green, just, yeah. And it was cool enough to, for the walking, you know, mm-hmm. I walked from, um, 38th all the way up to 82nd, um, you came out by the museum. Came out by the museum, yeah. And that, and I just would stop, drink water, take a break. You know? Sure. Um, so there'll be some of those paintings coming. And then we went to Woodstock, New York, you mm. know. Um, Sauger Tees. Um, Dina's um, sister and brother will have a house there as well. It's like their country house. They'll end up retiring there. And the scenery there is it's on top of a mountain. The house is perched on a cliff you don't see another house for <laughs> miles and miles and miles. It's like, it's like cloud central, you know? Um, <clears throat> so I gave the name, I, I gave the house a name while I was there, Sky Ridge. Oh, nice. Yeah. They thought that was funny. You're so, a good worker of the names. I mean, cause Tidalcroft for your studio was so perfect. And I, you, 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 you definitely have a skill for, for the naming stuff. Yeah. And putting words, obviously a poet, why, you know, of course. And working in all these wealthy people's houses that they always name their house, you know, Palm Beach, every house has a name pretty much, you know, Casa Nana, Mar-a-Lago, you know, all the names that. Yeah. And nobody knows the addresses. They're all known by their. Villa Artemis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it was just, it was, uh, the highlight of the trip had to be the, the, uh, Hispanic museum and library and meeting with Dr. Burke. Um, 
the museums were great. I'd seen a lot of that stuff before. The mm-hmm. American Wing, of course, is like my favorite. But um, yeah, I mean, good for the soul, right? Really, just, really, just yeah, so good for the soul. Charge your batteries, and uh, you're a busy man. You came home, went right back to work, and yeah. And now it's uh, October. The Lake Worth Farmers Market and Green Market um, begins. I think it's October nineteenth. So I will be a part of that. Terrific. Uh, I have meetings about that today. Yeah, so it's very, very exciting. As we alluded to, I've been spending time on painting every day, trying to squeeze in a little time each day for painting. And I think next week I'm going to try and get out to Corkscrew Swamp. I want to get out there while the water levels are still high. And that's one of the places that I I photographed once but would like to get back to. So I'm going to try and get that on my list Next week, we'll get back on a regular schedule with the podcast and try to be weekly after the the three-week absence that we've had. And um, I'll work very hard to get a guest lined up for us, somebody who's been an artist in residence and wants to talk about it and share the experience with us so we can get back on track with what we were originally planning to do. As much as I love these conversations, I want to start pulling some guests back in. Yeah, I think this is, um, but this really for the, for the Tortugas residency, um, I think this podcast is absolutely perfect. I mean, it's beautiful. It shows us, um, working towards honing our craft. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, taking the trips, seeing the sites, um, and then executing our work, you know, you're shooting pictures and painting. You've got back into painting again, you know, um, I'm learning about processes and, texture and technique um from the masters and you know that's the thing with artists you never really stop learning right you just i mean i think the minute you stop it's bad things happen to your work you know you get stale pretty quickly and uh, i'm really excited to be moving back into pushing paint around with a brush uh like i said we'll be announcing a a guest for next week we'll get somebody lined up and that'll be fun but you're right i think that the progression of these episodes have really shown a, a commitment and how much joy we would bring to the um, the residency in the Dry Tortugas. I have a meeting today at the Cultural Council. They're doing a presentation on applying for the South Florida Cultural Consortium grant. So I'm going to spend an hour there just learning the ins and outs of what they want from the application. So I don't, you know, if I'm going to spend the time working on that, I want to make sure I do it right and don't have any pratfalls from just yeah missing something. It's always good to... I've done that twice. It's very, yeah, it's very insightful. It's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you uh, finished an application this week as well. Yeah, I finished um, um, my extensive application for the Golden Foundation Residency, um, which they're the family that makes the paint that I use. Um, I yeah, use, I use Golden Acrylics when I when I do acrylics too. Yeah, it took uh, it took all of a. It took an entire day and with Dina giving me a hand, like proofreading my stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was a long process. Um, actually, I think, um, I might have our guest for next week. Okay. Um, Bruce Helander, um, who is, uh, a very f- famous, well-known artist here, mm-hmm. um, is about to have a show in New York city, um, sponsored by the cultural council. And he is also a, a regular speaker at the council. And I saw him at the shop the other day and he said he would love to be on our podcast. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You've been holding out on me. Well, I didn't, I just thought of it just now when you mentioned that you were going to be there today. Um, so, and he would be interested because I'm sure he's had a few residencies. He was also, um, he, he graduated from, um, 
Rhode Island School of Design. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he went to he got one of his degrees is from Yale. Um, great painter used to be a gallerist in Palm Beach. Um, oh, the stories he can tell. Let's let's make that happen. Yeah, I mean he. I met James Rosenquist, uh, the famous pop artist. He was friends with Warhol and all those people. Um, so, yeah, he would be very interesting, and I'm sure he's had a few residencies in his career. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds like we have a plan. All right. With that, I hope everyone has a great weekend. I will be editing the podcast and having it ready for people to listen to on Saturday morning. Very cool. All right. Have a good weekend, everyone Shannon. Take care. Bye.